major dogs, swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be needing some proper madam. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm. If you work, be not too shoddy. Be careful not to flounder too badly, though, or you may have to dance the hemp and jig as we see you to Davy Jones. The Jeffy, my boy, on with the show. Welcome everybody, friends, folks, foes, and fellow pirate mates, to this week's latest installment of Pirate Radio Podcasts. It's episode number 192. I'm your host as always, the Robin Hood's Chief Communications Officer, Jaffe Ryder. We have with us here as our feature guest out of Anchorage, Alaska, Jim Gottstein, author of the Zyprexa Papers. Uh, We've all heard the nightmare stories. The greed-driven psychiatric industry and its insatiable appetite to overly medicate. Now you'll get the chance to learn firsthand just how far some industry insiders have been willing to go in breaking the rules while pulling every trick in the book to escape justice. Author Jim Gottstein subpoenaed and released the suppressed Zyprexa papers showing Eli Lilly actively engaged in illegal marketing and concealment of Zyprexa, causing diabetes, and a number of miscellaneous other deadly metabolic conditions. We will get to Jim in just a moment or two. In the meantime, let's remind listeners the website is, of course, as always, WPRPN.com sign up is free we do encourage everyone to become more actively engaged whether through our main web hub or via other outlets such as minds.com our email address is pirate1radio at protonmail.com as well too if you have any PayPal donations or you would simply like to send us a guest suggestion or have a good idea in mind for a show that's the way to do things Um, other ways of helping us out of course are by getting involved and and, uh, chipping in via the tip jar over on patreon.com forward slash WPR WPRPN and minds.com the digital tokens that people can sometimes of course offer and share with others we do this all the time half of everything that we do manage to generate 
does go back to the grassroots. So that's one of the incentives we have worked into the the network profit sharing formula. Hashtag WWRHD. What would Robin Hood do? Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because this this week we've got we got two gyms on board so we're, we'll try not to get too confused we got reverend jim in the wingman capacity as has been the case over the past number of weeks and even months now i as memory serves it's he's doing a heck of a job of course helping to not only provide a lot of great color comment color commentary but also uh, the syndication of our show that goes out via his channel over on D Live, Angel Espino. Let's give him a shout out right off the top of things here as well too. PSN-Radio.com and Daryl and Katie via the Global Enlightenment Radio Network. Gern. So. That's who our main syndicators are at the moment. We're hoping to pick up more as we expand and bring on board the Shoutcast technology. Of course, we run off of Linux here, so it's been a little tricky up to this point. We're hoping to uh, get a handle on things here and really make more of a splash as far as our ability to to reach out to the world and and uh, offer a platform really for people and causes such as what Mr. Gottstein will be talking about this week. Be sure to check out all the show description uh, links that we have available down in the YouTube area as well too. That is critical psychrights.org, gotsteinlaw.com, and the Zyprexa papers, just to name a few. They're all there. Um, before we turn to Mr. G, as we will so affectionately refer to him over the course of the not quite approximate 90 minutes or so now, simply because we've got two gyms on board, um, we are going to turn our sights to the one and only Reverend Jim, and he was making his way up into the crow's nest. I'm not sure if he's found his way all the way to the top yet or not, but uh, Jim, if you can, if you can hear me, um, how are things looking from your vantage point? Hi, Jaffe. I'm up here, and we're looking good. We've got. Uh... We're looking good on Facebook, on YouTube, and on DLive. So, we got the platforms going. I think we're ready for the show. Yeah, we'll bring you back into the conversation here about midway um, through this week's live stream. I'm guessing that psychiatric drugs is an area that, well, you probably aren't as much of an expert as our guest this week is you probably have a thing or two to say regarding 
the whole business. Well, I'm, I'm a diagnosed bipolar, and I've been on a few of their good little things, which I no longer will accept. I won't take anything. Um, so I have just maybe a little bit of uh, personal experience with the crap. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get uh, more maybe into your personal story either in the after show or at some point along the way here i was curious i was just thinking about this actually the other day because knowing who we we're going to talk to this week so just your thoughts and also um also uh G jim's mr mr g i was going to call him doctor for some reason but i don't think in this instance that would be the way to go about doing it so hopefully uh hopefully Jim Gottstein out there in Anchorage you have managed to find your mute button I think you're a bit you're probably a veteran to these live streams of course from what I can gather so we'll be, there we go you're live so welcome to the Robin Hood thanks for joining us thanks for having me you know we were just briefly getting into how we first managed to get in touch with one another and I'm not how, sure how you would describe it. The word, though, that came to mind for me right off the bat, as you filled me in on the details from your end of things, was pure serendipity. Why don't you let our listeners in on, on how it was that, uh, that this all came about? Well, you know, I'm not entirely clear on it, but I, when I was trying to, you know, I'm trying to promote my book, and I, I had been on uh, Robert Norris's show, Radio Free Santa Cruz, and I emailed him, and then shortly after that, you uh, messaged me on Facebook, and I was a little confused. I thought you were with Radio Free Santa Cruz. Um, so I'm not really sure. It's just one of those things that happened, I guess. Oh, yeah, well, close, actually. Radio Free Santa Claus. How about that? I don't know if you're aware or not, but we run an annual Operation Secret Santa uh charity relief campaign here that that uh stretches out over the course of, of of around 10 days every year so radio free santa claus that works for us but uh yeah that's uh, yeah that's funny yeah here, i did see that it was great work here you are uh finally made it so this is excellent you know i've been trying to do as much homework regarding your backstory of course and uh it's quite impressive actually you know you, you are definitely out there making waves when you've actually got your own wikipedia page in place <laughs> that's funny yeah, so and another thing too we were going to ask you actually just right off the top here are you familiar with the michelle shock tune anchorage Oh, Anchorage, yeah, living, what is Anchortown? Anchored oh, yeah, I've down, actually got that. Anchorage. Anchored down in Anchorage. Yeah, it's all about a yeah. letter that she writts. Uh, her and her friend are writing back and forth. This is long before the time of email, so I guess I'm so, a housewife now or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There you go. So, yeah. In fact, I think Michelle, by that time, was probably, she was down in the big city making more of a name for herself in the world of... Uh, you know underground folk music or that was really her big thing during uh her her time and uh, her prominence really so um uh, back in the she came out in the, about the mid 
to late 1980s, as I recall, the Texas Campfire Tapes, I think was her first release. So, done a lot of great work. Got into a little bit of hot water as well, too, because of her... Uh, I don't know where you stand on the whole issue. It's interesting, though. She's pretty... Uh, she self-identifies as a Christian type of sorts, and she's not overly down with the whole LGBTQ and so on, all every other letter, I guess, that is a part of that whole business um, agenda. So, which is interesting, because that kind of ties into, in some ways, not, not directly, but the, um, the world of psychiatrics was it homosexuality was that not considered that was part of the uh, di diagnostical uh, statistics manual and statistics man. yeah up until what the 19 early 1970s, 1970s. yeah so then it, it got voted out which just goes to show you you know how there's no real scientific basis behind the uh, diagnostic and statistic statistical manuals of mental disorders, the DSM. Um, yeah, they just vote, you know, they just vote, uh, voted that out and they vote other, you know, new so-called mental disorders in. Um, so, you know, like restless leg disorder, and, you know. And, and anyway, basically what they do is they get a drug and then they have to find, you know, they created a disease to sell the drug for. You know, that is uh, that is so right. In fact, uh, I remember quite uh, distinctly during my time in university, this business, I think it was during an economics class, being told that in uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. And that kind of stuck with me for a while. I'm not sure how long until I sort of stood that on its head as thinking people hopefully you know they they tend to do right is like well let's just flip this around and take a look at it and see what it's well invention is the mother of necessity and i think that's exactly what we're seeing here as you said precisely they that's they, fine. they produce these pharmaceuticals and then you got to go out and start finding people that you can start uh having you know drugging drugging your product with so but let's hear a little bit more about your background i think uh I'm pretty sure it was Harvard Law School that you attended back in the day. Um, and, you know, how did that go? A boy, you know, because you've been a longtime resident of Anchorage. And uh, your, your dad was quite prominent in the community for some time, though, as well, too. So I'm not sure how much you want to get into your backstory. I'm sure our, our listeners would, would love to hear, though. And, you know, you've got... You've got uh, a good, not quite hour and a half, though, or so to fill. Uh, why don't we start from the beginning? Well, you bet. I mean, um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. And kind of the thing that's maybe most relevant is my little psychiatric adventure um, and how I was uh, lucky to have escaped uh, being, you know, uh, have my career changed to be a you know, lifelong mental patient. Um, so that's been kind of the theme of my life is being lucky. Um, so, uh, and I consider that pretty true about getting into Harvard Law School. I, I, I was the only uh, uh, skydiving uh, pilot from Alaska that applied to Harvard Law School that year. So uh, that, 
I think that was a bit close. Of course, I, you know, I had the LSATs, and uh, I had gone to the University of Oregon because uh, that was basically the only school I could get into after my uh, less than, you know, superlative uh, high school career. Which, you know, it wasn't that bad, but you know, I didn't have any, you know, the grades to get into uh, a really, you know, so-called good good school. But that ended up being lucky because you couldn't discount how easy it was to get good grades at the University of of uh, Oregon uh, enough compared to, you know, say an Ivy League school. And and uh, when I got there, I I decided I didn't really need to spend four years there. So I, my first term, I took 18 hours, which was uh, one class more than normal. Normal load is 15. And then the next term, I took 21 hours. And then I got, uh, well, my first term, I got a, actually got a C in calculus, which kind of ended my uh, math uh, progression. Uh, then the second term, when I took 18 hours, I I got all A's and a B, which I considered the sweet spot because if you get all A's, then you don't know how much more than you really needed to do you did. But you get if you get all A's and a B, then you know that's just about right. So then I got um, I took 24 hours the next term and uh, got all A's and a B, but that was that ended up being a little bit much. Uh, and so in the course of that. I was uh, uh, taking bus uh, getting a business degree and planned on going into the family business. And uh, one of the required classes is uh, business law. And uh, I didn't miss a question the whole term. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. And so I took advanced business law. And well, I missed a question, but I decided, you know, I realized that I had a pretty good uh, affinity for legal stuff, and so uh, I went in that direction. So, um, you know, and then law, law school itself, you know, I, um, I just consider myself so lucky to get in, and I was planning on going back to Anchorage. So, uh, the thing about Harvard Law School is everyone there is basically, you know, the top or first or second in their class in college, and and you know everybody is very competitive. But you know, um, I was planning on going back to Anchorage, and so I, uh, you know, just having gone to Harvard Law School was going to be enough. And I never did figure out how to how to get anything but B's. So I, I uh, that made it easy because no matter what I did, I got bees, and so that made me more relaxed. Okay, so you you did eventually make your way back to Anchorage. Now you yourself, if I read your biography correctly, had been diagnosed with some sort of. Uh, malady or ailment or I, I love the way you know wordplay is one of my big things as I'm I'm assuming it is yours as well too given the the uh, line of work and profession that you find you, you know for how many years it's been what uh, practicing lawyer for 30 years 35 40 years oh there we go 
So, uh, yeah, mental dis-ease. What a, you know, okay, so somebody is, you know, any dis-ease, you're not a totally at ease. Well, that's, that's pretty easy. It's, I mean, who isn't at, you know, ill at ease to some degree or another? But what was the deal with, in your particular case, what happened? You got, uh... So, yeah, I mean, basically, I, I uh, was starting my own law practice, and I was running for the state senate, which I had a pretty good chance of winning, actually. And I had, but I had gone to Europe, and I'd just gotten back, and I was jet-lagged. Um, and I'd never been in, you know, a situation where, quote, couldn't get everything done that needed to be done. Um, and I couldn't sleep. And anybody who doesn't sleep uh, will go crazy. I mean, people call it psychotic. I, I like the word crazy because, you know, people understand that. And they understand that uh, things happen that, you know, uh, make people go crazy. So anyway, uh, but uh, sleep deprivation will do that. And I had uh, I'd gone over to my dad's house to try and get some sleep, and I, I think I had just fallen asleep for like a second. And uh, I woke up, and I thought I heard the devil coming down the hall. So uh, it was about 1 in the morning, and this is the second floor, and so I ran over to the, to the window, and I looked down. And there's a lawn down there, and then there was a, um, a sidewalk. And I knew, and I really should have finished my uh, college career, <laughs> uh, because my last term of college, I needed 10 hours of anything to graduate, and I took nine hours of uh, teaching skydiving, which was actually flying skydivers. Uh, anyway, so I knew how to... Um, to a parachute landing fall, and I figured if I did a parachute landing fall, I wouldn't hurt myself. So I jumped out of a second floor window, this is one in the morning, in my underwear. Um, it, it was June in Anchorage, so that means it was light out. And I, I did a perfect parachute landing fall, and I ran across the street into this parking lot, and, and I thought the devil was still after me, so I kept looking over my shoulder and, and that, I kept looking over my shoulder and turning, and so I was spinning around. Um, anyway, they came and got me in a paddy wagon and uh, put me in a straitjacket and hauled me off to a, uh, Alaska Psychiatric Institute where uh, they shot me up with something to put me to sleep. So then I wake up. And there's this male nurse or something, Claire, you know, uh, sitting at, in a chair at the end of my bed with a clipboard, and he asks me, what day is it? And I ask him, how long have I been asleep? So he writes down, doesn't know what day it is, you know, which is this, you know, I wasn't, quote, oriented to time. So that was kind of how it, how it, how it went. And... Um, so they uh, basically told me, well, those that believed I was a lawyer said I would never practice law again. Um, and then when I told them that I'd gone to Harvard Law School, that confirmed that I was delusional. Um, 
So um, I used to have like little resistance. I would go limp and make them catch me. And one time they didn't catch me and hit my head. And I thought, oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. So they uh, said they wanted to give me a Melero. And I said, well, I don't want, I don't want anything like Thorazine. And they said, oh, this isn't anything like Thorazine. Well, it's exactly like Thorazine, uh, which people in my generation know. But it's, it's what uh, is uh, the best name for this class of drugs is a neuroleptic, which means seize the brain. And it blocks about 70 to 90% of the dopamine in the uh, frontal lobes. And so it's literally a chemical lobotomy. It also blocks 70 to 90% of the dopamine transmission in the basal ganglia, which is your movement center. And so it causes uh, tardive dyskinesia, which is a basically drug-induced Parkinsonism. So anyway, I was there for about 30 days, uh, and then they let me out. I, I uh, don't know to what extent that was because my insurance was only good for 30 days. Um, so I, my dad, you know, like I, like you mentioned, he was, you know, pretty prominent. He had resources. He sent me to this guy and this psychiatrist in uh, New Rochelle, New York, who was a nice enough guy but didn't do anything. But he diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. Um, one of the ways that I was lucky is while I was in the hospital, they wanted to give me lithium. Uh, and I said, you know, I'm a pilot, and this is going to keep me from flying, which they didn't care. Um, but my creatinine clearance test uh, didn't come back. My, there was something, you know, subpar with my kidneys. So they sent me to a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, to, do, to get a biopsy of my kidney. He had this big, long needle that he was sticking in my back, and he couldn't find my kidney. And so I never got put on lithium, which was another uh, stroke of luck. But anyway, my mother was, uh, at that time, uh, the, the executive director of the Alaska Mental Health Association, and she steered me to this psychiatrist by the name of Robert Alberts, who was just this fantastic guy. I mean, he, he, was a, um, he was Dutch, and he was a... Japanese prisoner of war during World War II. Um, and one of the things he would say is he, he couldn't, you know, he was trying to get some partners and he could never find a psychiatrist with any common sense. Anyway, he told me that uh, anybody who doesn't get sleep will, you know, go psychotic or crazy and that I just needed to learn how to deal with that, which is, you know, basically what, I, what I've done. I mean, uh, it's not rocket science. If I'm not getting sleep, then, uh, you know, I'm going to get into trouble. And I, I have um, learned the progression. So the first thing that will happen is I'll, I'll get, get kind of sharp, you know, with, with snappy comebacks and things like that. And no one will notice except me, but I, I'll notice. And then I'll, you know, do what's called thought blocking, where you are talking, and then in the middle of a sentence, you just kind of stop. It's not quite um, 
not finding the words. It's just kind of stopping in the middle. Um, and so then I know I'm a little bit farther along. And then I'll start to uh, get to the point where I think people are looking at me weird. And that is not a good sign. So when that happens, uh, of course, I'm trying to get sleep. But uh, a couple things that I do. One is I say to myself, people probably aren't looking at me weird. But if they are, it's because I'm doing something weird. And so I, I kind of just think of myself as looking at myself from up above and try and make sure that I'm not doing anything that would make people want to, you know, that would alarm people or make people want to think they should throw me in the loony bin. Um, so if I really get in trouble, then I'll take uh, benzodiazepine, which are highly addictive. That's a class of drugs that's like Xanax and Clonopin. Valium is one of those. The one I like is Halcyon, which gives the most delicious sleep. Um, but I'll just take it for one, usually just for one night to break that cycle and get a night's sleep. Um, and uh, the, the benzos, benzodiazepines, are very addictive, and they cause huge problems for people. People can have seizures going off of them. And, um, so, um, and if I take it just one night, I know that the next night I'll have trouble getting to sleep just from the withdrawal from one dose. But from my perspective, um, you know, preventing myself from going crazy is, you know, is worth, you know, a tough night sleeping the next night. Um, Jim, let me jump in there just for a second. Hang on, hang on. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do a couple of questions, uh, at least well, maybe, well, at least one, maybe two. But w have you heard of melatonin? Uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah, uh, sure. Or, 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 or CBDs. This is something that uh, we recently had shipped to us here as part of a um, sponsorship type deal that's uh, come into being over the last couple of weeks, uh, finally. So, you know, and I have tried the product out what they have to offer and i know it, it everything does not always work the same for everyone so i'm presumably over the years you've experimented like crazy with it to try to figure out what works the best for you but yeah cbds you know that's a hot product these days of course uh non-narcotic just simply just no, no thc uh, as the standard type marijuana products but uh, and then melatonin yeah just we'll leave it at that and your thoughts well so first off I can go a year uh, with that or more without ever taking taking one of these benzos um, and again you don't do it only one night but if I really get going um, melatonin isn't gonna really do it and I I I had really vivid and weird dreams on melatonin that I didn't like. So I didn't take that. You know, and people suggested things like Calm's, Calm's Forte and, you know, some of these other things. And um, some people recommend um, Benadryl. Uh, yeah. But those don't really touch it. If I really get going, 
um, the only thing uh, that really seems to work is something really strong. I, I took, I would take, Am I took Ambien a few times, but mm. the last time I took, the last so did Roseanne Barr. So, yeah, yeah. so did so, Roseanne. So be careful. Yeah. yeah. So well, I I quit taking it. Um, the thing about uh, Ambien is it would last a little longer, and then you would be. Um, you know, kind of woozier for a longer period of time. Um, so, you know, I really have to figure out how, you know, you know, how long I could be kind of incapacitated. Have you heard but of, again, have you heard I Jim, don't take Jim, it. Yeah, I got, we got you. We jo Jolly Roger that, uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. G. And by the way, you still have, hopefully somewhere in the back of your head, you're, you're kicking around an idea for a, a pirate uh, reference or angle of sorts. This is something that we mentioned in the pre-show. I'll just I'll leave it uh, there with you for the time being. Uh, I have a pretty good idea. I think uh, how lawyers' minds work, and you know, you can probably be able to multitask a little bit with respect to that whole business. But Valerian, have you heard that? You've heard of Valerian as well too, haven't you? Oh, Valerian. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I've tried it. Um, didn't work for me. But I don't, effects. you know, I mean, I never get great sleep, but I, I don't really get into that kind of trouble uh, very often. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So, 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 so there we go. We got, uh, is there anything so more you want to say? I could uh -huh. say, yeah, I mean, I guess one thing is I should say is how I manage my workload. So, mm -hmm. you know, as a lawyer, of course, you have to file briefs and you have, uh, Dead, deadlines and all that and um, when you're writing a you know a brief or a motion or whatever you can always make it better you can go over it again and make it better and so virtually all lawyers will file right at the last minute but I get uh, so um, I don't want it to be so worried about getting it done and you know having the printer not work and all that kind of stuff that I I usually file something the day before uh, just so I don't get in that situation so um, it's just a matter of you know figuring out things that you know that work you know work for me and you know that for other people you know people figuring out what works for them. Okay, uh, let me ask you this, Jim, uh, and that's exactly, that's, that's, I couldn't agree more, of course, that's just stands to reason, doesn't it? Um, very much uh, echoing how I believe Asian medicine, um, the, because I, I think you know I, I, I live here in South Korea, maybe you don't, but there you go, and uh, that's the sort of philosophy that you know, traditionally, I, I don't know about these days with these modern uh, bone saws, what their approach or worldview is other than trying to make as much money as possible. But yeah, we've all got different various body constitutes and and uh, you can't always uh, die, you know, prescribe the same thing for all people, exactly that. Uh, here's a here's a really important out the issue of when a person is you could say diagnosed I suppose I prefer to refer to it more as labeling but uh, 
<laughs> when people are diagnosed with uh, suffering uh, with a form of mental disorder, get that one, folks. You know, it's it's not in order, huh? or dis-ease. Oh, they're not totally at ease. Uh, that's a, what are we going to do about this? That uh, uh, this. I'm not sure how American law works exactly, psychiatric, because they do seem to have a considerable amount of pull. But my understanding is that uh, in Canada, when you are diagnosed or labeled as suffering from one, um, one mental problem or another formally, that your name and, and file, it, it's a part it, that, that follows you around wherever you go for the rest of your life. As far as the state is concerned, yeah, like, uh, well, with, with if, uh, in America, is it the same sort of deal that once you're diagnosed, once you're labeled, that follows you for the rest of your life and there's no way of, of uh, disproving the fact that, hey, I've been healed, or wait a minute, you misdiagnosed me, <laughs> you know? You're, you're wrong. Well, I'm sorry. You're wrong. You're just, this is, there's a problem here. I have a couple of thoughts about that. One is, you know, there are a lot of people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia who, you know, then got through it, whatever they were going through and went on to, you know, pretty illustrious careers. And whenever, or whether they had an illustrious career or not, who get old, you know, got through it and over it. Um, so then the normal reaction, oh, well, you were misdiagnosed. You didn't really have schizophrenia. Well, schizophrenia is, is not even a valid uh, classification because if you can't, when you look at the diagnostic criteria for schizophrenia, you can't dis distinguish schizophrenia from not schizophrenia. So it's just, it's just nonsense. Um, so I forget what the other other thing I was going to say. Well, the point, just once again, to further emphasize and uh, to 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 uh, to reinforce, I guess, while you're trying to recall what it is that you were going to um, share with our listeners, what other sub point or what have you, what what is that you had in mind that. Uh, these things follow people for the rest of their lives. So, how, oh yeah, you know. yeah. So supposedly there isn't such a list, but I have just had too many people tell me that you know they get you know some contact with the police, and up pops that they've got a psychiatric history, and then Katie bar the door. Um, that's kind of it. They just like automatically get taken to the uh, psych, you know, psych ward, and anything they say is just uh, n not even considered relevant because it's a misfiring. They consider it the misfiring of neurons, you know, so that it's just all nonsense, and um, which you know, of course, isn't true. And so um, I. I've heard people that have successfully gotten these diagnoses, you know, technically reversed, but I, I, I don't think a very many people do, and I don't know how much it really helps. And so, from my perspective, the 
the only you know thing that really works is to get you know some time between the last time you were hospitalized. Uh, so you know if it's been a year, you know that's good. The last time I was hospitalized was in 1985. So you know at this point you can say you know that I'm not really in danger of that. I think. Okay. Well, I'd like to get into the Zyprexa papers uh, more, more um, head on. I suppose one could say deep dive as far as this whole business, your history. You picked up some coverage in the New York Times. It was um, 2006 was when things were really making the news, from what I understand. Uh, at the same time, we're going to want to circle back here. Maybe you want to address it now. Probably circle back, save this for the end of the show, how the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, um, it seems to be uh, a growth, a rapid growth type industry. And that uh, there's this, every time there's a new edition, there's not... Uh, a reduction of these diagnoses is constantly more and more labels really folks it's it's labeling is so much of what's going on i think jim you know all about that of course how that works including the anti-psych uh anti-psychiatric -psych movement you yourself long time uh um, psychiatric patients advocate hopefully we'll be able to hear more from you on that front as well but just I mean, you mentioned some, it was really, well, I'll try to uh, bring this up maybe more towards the end. Just these really frivolous, oh, I, I know what it was, restless leg syndrome. <laughs> and then opposition, oppositional defiant, or uh, oppositional authority, how does that, what is it? What is it? Yeah, oppositional defiant disorder. Do not Yeah, which is basically a teenage kid. And, you know, an ADHD, you know, attention deficit hyperactivity oh disorder. And if you look at the criteria for that, it basically is, you know, an eight to 12 year old boy, you know, just being a regular boy. Stop, and, and maybe stop you know, feeding your kids so much sugar. That might help as well too, folks. <laughs> right, or let them go out and jump on a trampoline. There you or, go, you know, yeah, sure. Have, you know, All right. You know, someone who doesn't, you know, fidgets, you know, when they're they're made to sit behind a desk for hours at, at a time in front of a boring teacher, you know. Don't know if you've been able to follow along in the YouTube section here or not, Jim, but we do have uh, almost 20 people via YouTube alone. So that's uh, really great. You're definitely uh, drawing them in and uh, putting, putting asses in... No, it's the pirate, the pirate seats or pirate benches, pirate pews, what have you. So, uh, yeah, pirate church is in for this Friday night. Of course, Saturdays, as always, we kick the live stream off 12 p.m. noon here in Tokyo and Seoul time zones. Dana Shiver, Joey Boomer, Reverend Jim. Uh, wow, 20 foot Johnny Canuck. Let's see, I'm not sure. Maybe now's a good time we can have actually, well, Pirate Larry was over on DLive as well too. So that's that's great to see that uh, he is dropping by once again. Somebody that we're gonna hopefully have 
join us this upcoming Tuesday night, the first hour uh, of our news stream, just to mostly for an update, see how things have been going with him. He's had to, as regular listeners will know, um, undergo some pretty serious health procedures as of late, and um, looks like he's come out on the winning end. He's uh, doing the best that he can to um, have his have his uh, strength restored and and right bring himself right back to the point where he was prior to going into the hospital. Hopefully, even possibly in a in a better place than than when it was that he uh, had these uh, this sudden acute issue that he had to deal with but uh yeah have you been able to follow what's going on either on on facebook or or in the chat area on youtube we carry our, our show over on d live as well too mr g so uh here's some yeah i've notes. been kind of looking at youtube i am I, I don't multitask that well oh, okay. so i don't know that i could look at three three uh, feeds not a problem we have got uh we'll encourage everyone to uh, send their as always uh, thoughts comments questions criticisms queries you name it you got something on your mind you'd like our guests to respond to do let us know and hopefully with the assistance of reverend jim because as with you mr g it's hard for me to with the pair of computer screens here and all the browsers all the programs it just gets to be a little crazy sometimes well at the same time trying to maintain uh, the, the the slideshow and then quality audio the feed and everything else so but anyways we have a great time and um, having a lot of fun to this point most definitely uh, we're going to get into the Zyprexa papers now, I guess, a little more, unless you strongly object, like to take the conversation elsewhere. We'd, we'd like to, uh, though, once again, just draw to listeners' attention the, the show links, which can quite easily be found down in the sh uh, show description area. Your links in particular, uh, Mr. G, which include, let's just take a look here, scrolling up. Yeah, that's right. Psychrights.org, GotsteinLaw.com, and uh, we got AlaskaBuilding.com. I suppose that's where you're based out of, presumably. But then the ZyprexaPapers.com. I don't know what more you want to say. I know we just actually crossed paths, ran into you via Twitter uh, a few hours ago. So I've yet to get that up in the YouTube link area, but. Uh, uh, if you're happy with where things are currently and think that we've done enough in the way of uh, backstory and kind of setting things up to the point where you'd like to uh, turn the focus more to the Zyprexa papers and the, the corruption, I guess, that Eli Lilly once again caught dead to rights from the sounds of things. Um, doing all they can to see to it that their shareholders, presumably, bottom line, is is enriched to uh, to the maximum level possible. That uh, how did how did this all start? Uh, Zyprexa, who first came to you? I'm, I'm guessing that you must have heard some murmurs and 
and uh, some some rumblings as far as this particular product itself. Uh, where do you where do you want to uh, kick things off exactly? So well, it, it, uh, you know, we can talk about how how it started, which was this expert witness in the lawsuit over Zyprexa causing diabetes and uh, other metabolic problem uh, problems or diseases. Um, it was not wasn't technically a class action. It was tens of thousands of separate cases that were consolidated into uh, what's called a multi-district litigation in uh, Brooklyn in the Eastern District of New York um, uh, with Judge uh, Jack Weinstein as the judge, and it was consolidated for settlement and discovery purposes. So discovery is that phase of litigation where um, the parties have the right to, quote, discover to get the other party to provide, um, uh, you know, evidence. You know, they have to answer questions, they have to provide documents, and there's this giant document depository. And one of the expert witnesses, Dr. David Eagleman, uh, found these documents that showed that Lily knew from the very beginning that Zyprexa caused diabetes and other metabolic problems. And it didn't own up to it. It hit it. And in fact, when the doctors started saying, hey, what's going on here? We've got patients getting diabetes. I've got patients that gain 100 pounds in a year. And they just um, basically lied about that. And uh, so he wanted to find someone to subpoena him uh, because there was this mechanism in the lawsuit. Uh, where if, if he was subpoenaed, he had to give Lily notice of the subpoena and a reasonable opportunity to object before he turned the documents over, um, which we did. And he had found me because I had a case involving uh, Zyprexa that went to the Alaska Supreme Court, um, and I had this really great psychiatrist, Dr. Grace Jackson. Uh, you've got a cop, uh, one of the covers of her books uh, on, on the uh, graphics on YouTube. Anyway, she wrote this report called Olanzapine, which is a uh, chemical name for Zyprexa, uh, dangerous drug, dubious efficacy. And she went through the um, studies that uh, resulted in the approval of Zyprexa, and, and those studies were obtained by Robert Whitaker, uh, the author of Mad in America, um, through a Freedom of Information Act request. And she went through them and found uh, that Lilly had really, I think, I think it's fair to say, it, conducted these studies fraudulently. So, for example, um, one of the things that they did was the, for the placebo arm, you know, we are supposed to uh, compare Zyprexa with, you know, a group that, you know, doesn't have, uh, isn't taking Zyprexa. And what they did is they, for the placebo group, they took people that were on Haldol and just uh, stopped the Haldol, which causes a lot of people to become psychotic. and. The reason for that is that, you know, I said that uh, these drugs block 70 to 90 percent of the dopamine transmission in various parts of the brain. 
And what the brain does to compensate for that is to grow more dopamine receptors. And so whereas they've never found any brain abnormalities of, for people diagnosed uh, with schizophrenia, before they're given the drugs, once they're given the drugs, then there's all kinds of brain damage that shows up. And, and that's one of the abnormalities. Anyway, so that was, so then, so they were comparing people that, that had been deliberately made worse by abruptly withdrawing them from uh, Haldol and comparing them to people on uh, they were that were given Zyprexa. Another thing they did was they they called it last observation carried forward, where Zyprexa is so unpleasant that most people that if they have a, a choice, you know, would quit it. And so about 70% of people quit it. And during the during these studies, and so what they did, they'd say, well, we'll just assume that the per, that uh, that person would be the same at the end of 12 weeks that they would that that they were when they quit. So that's like last observation carried forward. Well, if you have a 12-week study, you know, what's the point of the study if you're just going to assume that? Uh, people are going to be the same. I mean, that's the whole point of the study. And even a 12-week study is not very uh, informative because there are lots of negative effects that, that show up, you know, at, you know, after 12 weeks. So anyway, um, Alex Berenson of the New York Times, with whom Dr. Eagleman was working, uh, had found this report on the Internet uh, and uh, suggested that Eagleman give me a call. And so he did, and, and I ended up subpoenaing them. And, um, so the Zyprexa papers, the book, is, you know, all about what happened uh, as a result of that. And so I got them, and then I sent copies out to a bunch of people in addition to the New York Times, and the New York Times started a series of front page stories on December 18th, I think it was, 2006, which got really pretty upset. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that was going on, like um, uh, Lily finally, you know, after, after about almost a week, uh, they had a lawyer in Anchorage that called me, and, uh, and it was a little bit after working hours, and I thought, oh, this is before I'd gotten the, the documents. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll call him first thing in the morning uh, and see, hopefully, right at 8 o'clock, and hopefully he won't be there, so he can't say I didn't call him back. Uh, and in the meantime, I told, told uh, Dr. Eagleman that he had that Lily was, you know, they had been slow to get moving, but they were on the move, and so he he decided that they'd been given enough uh, an opportunity to object and sent me the papers, and and then I I sent them out. So the book, um, there's a lot of. Uh, I think it's a very interesting story. I mean, Lily came after me like a ton of bricks, and. Uh, they threatened me with criminal contempt and going after my license to practice law and all that. And, and Judge Jack Weinstein uh, ended up uh, c 
concluding that I had, quote, conspired to steal these documents when, uh, you know, the whole point of it was to follow the rules and the secrecy order. Um, so um, it, the book is, goes, goes through all that stuff and how this group of uh, psychiatric survivors, you know, people who had been, you know, kind of enmeshed in the psychiatric system and managed to escape, uh, got them out on the internet untraceably and, you know, uh, doing various things. And, um, uh, and then uh, I also write about Bill Bigley, who is a person for whom I subpoenaed as I participated. Because you can't just issue a subpoena, you've got to have a case. And there was this, I mean, there was this whole drama about even finding uh, a case to subpoena them, because in Alaska, these cases are secret. <laughs> so, I mean, I was out, out uh, in front of the hospital handing out flyers from people going in to, you know, see if someone might be interested in having me represent them and things okay. like that. Okay. And, so hang on, uh, Jim, why are the cases secret? Is that because of like patient confidentiality rights or what are you talking yeah, about? The, yeah, the idea is that um, in some places, in some states are secret, in some places they're not. In Alaska, the statute says the hearing shall be open or closed to the public as the, the person elects, um, but they never tell the person they have the right to have it open. And the, yeah, the idea, you know, a lot of people, there's so much, they call it stigma, but, you know, negative uh, impact once people find out. Well, why not just simply cycle. John Doe, uh, Jane Doe one, John Doe one, the, the, like just keep their uh, identities anonymous. How, why would that be so? How's, well, why is that so I mean, on the um, on a lot of the appeals, you know, that's what they do. They have pseudonyms, but you know, it has to be. It's a no. I mean, they, you know, it's uh, this. The game is it's rigged. It's a petition against someone. Uh, so the game is rigged. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I had, the game is rigged. The system well, is. Well, that's. It's, it's, mm -hmm. That's totally for sure, and that's I when I uh, a couple of chapters towards the end, right? Uh, I write about these uh, uh, cases I did on behalf of Bill Bidley, and you just see how ridiculous things are, and and it's just just um, it's basically a kangaroo court. So he was he was your star. Uh testimonial then I guess uh, just for you know just the best l layman's uh, way of describing things I'm able to come up with it at the moment uh, that, that was uh, he figured quite front and center of course in the documentation that you did send our way uh, let's just put the brakes on things here right for the moment and as promised earlier what we typically like to do is bring into the conversation um reverend jim it's we've we've you know how time flies when you're having fun here on the robin hood we're well past the halfway mark now with uh this week's friday night feature guest interview jim godstein he's a author and lawyer um psychiatric patients 
rights advocate out of Anchorage, Alaska, and his book that we're featuring this week is called simply the Zyprexa Papers. Uh, another great example of something you gotta step ask, step back and ask yourself: Why hasn't this been made into a movie yet? Uh, starring Denzel Washington, <laughs> or even better yet, hey, Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, which reminds me, <laughs> that was that was one of the questions I was going to ask. I can I can, I'm assuming I know the answer to things here, but uh, before we get back to Jim, let's let's see where uh, Reverend Jim is. There, we're gonna connect through to the the crow's nest. It sounds like we have. Uh, Reverend Jim, do we have you? Yes, I am here. Have you been keeping a close look out there on the distant horizon and uh, the chat areas across social media? As I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you have. Uh... Facebook looks awful uh, quiet tonight. Um, do, do you know there's a totally new format? They've revamped yes, things. Yes, I do not like it. There, were, it looks like they're trying to imitate minds. If yep. you ask me. Yep, and it's really confusing. I am really, I don't understand what's going on. I haven't been able to invite the people that uh, that we normally do. So. Yeah. And they changed the protocol on how you uh, like if you want to share someone else's story, that's been changed a little bit. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't like the new changes on Facebook at all. Let's not forget what uh, what was just said a few moments earlier as well, too. The game is rigged. Um, yes. One of the things that, that Trump did get right, and I think why he was so able to uh, strike that, the wide appeal that he managed to, to pick up back the last round of presidential elections, whether you believe with you know buy into his policies or not, uh, I mean it's like it's like saying the sky is blue, <laughs> the game is rigged. Okay, yeah, the water is wet. Fine. Okay, good. Yeah. So uh, there we go. Zyprexa is bad for you. There's another kind of. Uh, it's hard. It seems to. Uh, dispute that but at this stage of things given all the good work of course our guest this week mr g has done with his with his book uh but just yeah in brief before we turn our focus back to uh jim jim number two uh thoughts any questions uh, what's going on what's what's kicking around in your head or or just are there any um, comments you'd like to address as far as the youtube chat area is concerned no it looks like uh youtube we've got uh, over half a or got over a dozen people there i've got uh looks like we're holding uh seven or so people here on your d live channel and uh over on my d live channel there's uh i've got 13 people in my audience so we're doing good. It's a fascinating uh, subject because I think we all know somebody that's been touched by some type of mental uh, dis-ease, uh, mental illness. Um, and yeah, the system is not rigged. They don't want to cure anybody. Our doctors are not taught holistic health 
meaning or bringing health back to the body by changing their diets and by changing a few other things in the environment that will actually change the mental health of the person. Our doctors are not taught any of that. They're taught pharmaceutical, big pharma, make us some more profit, and that's it. So, um, yeah, it, the fact that we've got a lawyer on our side, I like that. And so I'm just going to let him keep going. All right, yeah. Once again, as we've talked about here in the past, that uh, a cured patient is a customer lost. So definitely uh, something hopefully most people can understand as far as the bottom line is concerned. I think you're right on the mark there, Jim. And I think uh, with uh, Anchorage, Jim, that clearly, you know, what we saw in his case was uh, sleep regimen and and uh, healthy healthy uh, sleep patterns being you know so critical to what it was it was a something that he uh, well it was you know I think he stands as a role model though to a lot of people too because there's bound to be others out there who have suffered from similar uh, sad states of affairs and it brings on a lot of confusion and uh, and the the psychiatric industry itself, uh, the Kraken, as it is, more than happy to sink its claws into you. And I, as we did bring up earlier, once they've got you in their files and and uh, in their books, it's difficult to uh, to have that stigma removed, unfortunately. When really, in many cases, it's simply a matter of labeling. So, uh, but, you know, Jim, uh, Mr. G, and hopefully you can find your mute button once again there. We want to bring you back into the conversation. Uh, just, just to ask you right off the top of your head, I'm sure this is something you've reflected upon over the years. How many people are needlessly diagnosed as suffering from one mental malady or ailment, disease, disorder, or another, who in the long, uh, in the long run really simply don't, you know, need to have that stigma follow them around whatsoever. They're, they're falsely diagnosed. Well, I mean, for one thing, the whole idea that um, what gets diagnosed as a mental illness is something wrong with the person's brain has never been proven and almost certainly not true most of the time. And one of the really interesting things is there's this program in uh, part of Lapland in Finland called the Open Dialogue Approach. Um, and they, they really try and avoid uh, giving people the neuroleptics uh, in the first place. And they, uh, it's not that they don't do anything, they actually do a lot. And they consider that the problem isn't really with the person, the quote, identified patient. It's in the, you know, the space between people. In other words, it's the relationships and things. And they get basically an 80% recovery rate. And there was a program in uh, a study done in the United States in the 70s called the Soteria House Project. 
and they basically did the same thing. And they, they instead of giving, and it was a randomized, you know, controlled study. And they, uh, for the people that went to the Soteria House, um, their attitude was to be with the person rather than do to them. And they actually might have given someone a benzo to just get, you know, help them uh, establish the sleep routine just at, at the beginning. Um, and as a little aside, um, I went to a seminar once and this expert said that 100% of the time people who are psychotic have sleep deprivation. Well, I don't know about 100% of the time, but it's a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in any event, so uh, one of the charts that basically is on their uh, feed here is of the uh, recovery rates of uh, people that in the U.S. who have been on the drugs for, you know, a long time and get off of them. And what they find is that if people get off of them, there's a 40% recovery rate. And, and if they stay on them, there's a 5% recovery rate. And so what that shows is how important it is to not put people on them in the first place if you can avoid it at, you know, if you can avoid it at all. Um, because if, if, you, if people never get put on uh, the neuroleptics and you, you know, use other approaches, you get a recovery rate of 80%. But if they've been on it for a while and they get off of them, then that drops to 40%. And if they stay on them, it's 5%. So I think it's fair to say that these neuroleptics uh, reduce the recovery rate from 80% to 5%. Um, and on top of that, um, they cause all these physical problems that result in people dying on average uh, if they're in the public mental health system with diagnosed with a serious mental illness 20 to 25 years earlier than the general population. And if you look at um, people that were, let's say, in the insane asylums in the early 1900s, they had normal lifespans. So people that, you know, get labeled with mental illness, um, and put on these drugs, you know, it really is dramatically reducing their lifespans. And the fact that there isn't a huge uproar over this just shows how little value society has for these people. And it's basically because, um, you know, people just, you know, I mean, society considers uh, people diagnosed with serious mental illnesses, you know, as defective and not worthy of um, you know, real consideration. And the whole message of the mental illness system is abandon hope, all ye who enter here. I mean, that was the message I was given that I would never, you know, have a normal life again. And that's what everybody is told. You have a lifelong disease, there's something wrong with your brain, you're going to have to be on these drugs for the rest of your life. And it's all false. And from my perspective, one of the best things that someone can be um, is uh, non-compliant. You know, that is your, you know, your most likely predictor of uh, recovery is not complying with uh, what the psychiatrists want you to do. What you mentioned out uh, the the study and research 
that has been done out of Finland, I think, is the Scandinavian country that you had brought up earlier. Uh, it sounded like a talk therapy, as well as just looking at society as a whole, and how, in your case, I think is a really good example of how there was that support network in place. So, abandon uh, hope, all ye who pass through here. Um, you being the exception to the rule, I, I'm sure there's others out there as well too, but in many cases, that seems to be because of the, the support networks that they have, whereas the ones who have very uh, weak uh, support via families, in particular direct immediate families, that really makes them a lot more susceptible clearly and uh, easier pickings and and pray for the system uh, is, is my impression but uh, I'm not sure you so, can just mm -hmm, go ahead dive in there if you like so, yeah so one of the things uh, that I do in the book is I uh, you know I mentioned these psychiatric survivors who um, you know played various roles um, and uh, but I've got a number of examples of, of people who had been diagnosed as basically hopeless, hopelessly, uh, you know, uh, suffering from schizophrenia who have, you know, gotten over it and gone, and just done really fantastic things with their lives. Um, so, um, uh, Anyway, so that's one of the things that I wanted to do with the book is to, I'm, I'm trying to look, I'm look for a quote of the, about one of them, Ted Chavis, if I can find it, um, uh, is to d debunk this uh, myth that people, you know, that uh, will get diagnosed as mental illness, is, you know, some kind of brain defect and, and you, you just can't uh, recover from it. Yeah, uh, you know, which is, that's a, that's a really great point, of course, and I, you're bang on the, the money there, as it were, uh, pun perhaps intended, that there has, there's no test that exists. They can't do a blood test, apparently. They cannot, is there any, uh, you know, brain scan, MRI? I don't think there's nothing that really can show that, oh, here we have a clear case of schizophrenia, here's a clear case of bipolar, uh, other than just providing a descriptive assessment based on a whole list of, uh, of uh, descriptive uh, checkpoint type Type criteria. Yeah, it's just all based on you know behavior and other people's description of behavior. I mean, one of, there's in, I know we're kind of running out of time, but in 2003, this organization called Mind Freedom had this Fast for Freedom uh, in Mental Health, and they challenged the American Psychiatric Association, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and the Surgeon General to come up with proof that there was you know something. Uh, wrong with the brain, you know, that causes the, uh, whatever people get diagnosed with uh, uh, mental illness for. And basically, they couldn't do it. And uh, the APA ended up basically saying, 
Well, in 100 years, we haven't been able to find anything, but we're sure we will. And now it's, what, 17 years later, and the same, you know, and it's still the same thing. Um, so it's pr just probably not true that uh, there's something wrong with the brain. So, of course, there's no blood test for it. I mean, my experience is when you talk to people um, that, you know, have gone crazy, is that they will often say that there is something, you know, in their early childhood that kind of set them up for the problem and then something in the recent past that pushed them over the edge. Um, so, um, so I find I found the uh, little quote for, that Ted Ted wrote about uh, him, and I'd like to read it if sure, I can. It's, in, it's from the book, and it's um, Ted's mother was uh, locked up. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Uh, I mean, basically, um, uh, yeah, she was a uh, single mother, and uh, you know, had problems and stuff. Anyway, uh, so he was, as a, you know, I, as a little boy, he was given electroshock because uh, this was in the four, 40s or 50s, and uh, to, to be ex, uh, experimented on. And he was put in a psych hospital because his mother was diagnosed. And, and he, um, he was let out on his 18th birthday worked his way through college and law school and became a lawyer. But this is what he wrote about uh, what it was like to be electroshocked when he was a, a little boy. It made me want to die. I remember that they would stick a rag in my mouth so I wouldn't bite through my tongue and that it took three attendants to hold me down. I knew that in the morning that I didn't get any breakfast that I was going to get shock treatment. I wanted to die, but I didn't really know what death was. I knew that it was something terrible. Maybe I'll be so tired after the next shock treatment, I won't get up. I won't ever get up, and I'll be dead. But I always got up. Something in me beyond my wishes made me put myself together again. I memorized my name. I taught myself to say my name. Teddy, Teddy, I'm Teddy. I'm here, I'm here in this room, in this hospital, and my mommy's gone. I would cry and realize how dizzy I was. The world was spinning around me and coming back to it hurt too much. I want to go down. I want to go where the shock treatment is sending me. I want to stop fighting and die. And something made me live and go on living. So this is what they do to people. And um, little kids, and they're, they're still shocking little kids. And they're you know giving these heavy duty psych drugs to little kids. Um, especially foster children. Um, and if you think about, uh, you know, foster children, the reason why they're in foster care is because there's been a finding that they were the subject of abuse or neglect. Well, that may or may not be true, but um, let's say that it is. Well, then that would be, you know, that would cause, a, you know, a child to, you know, act out. Right. Okay. So then, no matter how bad uh, your home might might be, um, getting yanked out of the house, uh, you know, is pretty traumatic. Now, some you know, some kids are glad to be you know taken out, but but most of the time, you know, that's a huge uh, trauma, 
And that would make people, you know, children get, get upset. Um, and then uh, a lot of these foster placements are pretty horrific. And, you know, I mean, children get abused and sexually abused and all that kind of stuff. And that would make people act out. And they're not really treated as members of the family most of the time. Um, and so rather than help, help these children and youth uh, deal with what's gone on in their lives, you know, but, uh, these terrible things that's happened to them and help them be successful, um, they're just told there's something wrong with your brain, you're never going to amount to anything. The best that we can hope for is that you take these drugs that, that you know, make your brain feel like it's in cement. Um, and so you won't be going to the hospital so much. Uh, and it's just a horrific thing that's done to children. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, the psychiatric industry is, uh, you know, look, I do believe there is some good work that is done. This is my personal take and opinion regarding um, the fact that there are some people out there. Maybe you disagree, Jim, but you know, that they do need help, whether it's starting just with simple talk therapy, um, but maybe medication is the route to go on occasion. Bottom line, though, uh, is that there's no doubt that excess medication of uh, psychiatric drugging, and as you just po pointed out so rightly, especially within the context of foster homes, foster children, those who are from the get-go the most vulnerable to begin with and then uh, you know then you know you have the the excess drugging uh added on to the uh equation you're, you're exactly right it can't be easy and then the this the sexual end of things too which we i think most of our listeners here the regular crew at least we're kind of hip to the way that it's a, it's a lot more than you know we're kind of hip to things as far as what really goes on behind closed doors you could say but also just within the the child protection services as it were and the way that the court systems work i don't know how things are are in uh, alaska per se but time and again we hear about these just really sick judges and you know, don't take it personal. It's not, not meant as a, as a an assault on you. But yeah, so you know, so there's, well, I'm sure over the course of your 40 years in law, you've you've uh, crossed paths with some questionable people of questionable repute and integrity within the legal field. Um, to say that you hadn't would be, yeah, that would be a stretch, I'd imagine. But. Uh, uh, would you not agree, though, rather than me putting words in your mouth, would you not agree that there are some people who definitely do need some form of help because they are suffering in one way or another? It's just perhaps you disagree with the methods, the, the approach, the way of going about doing things. Well, I mean, it's I, I like I said, I like the word crazy, and people go crazy. And I, they do, I do, use, too, actually. Yeah, I do, too. Use... Yeah, and they, and people can use help, and but the question, you know, is what? And so the psych rights mission is to mount a strategic litigation campaign against forced psychiatric drugging and electric shock. So 
I know people who find even the neuroleptics helpful, and I think that's fine if they find them helpful. I think they should be told the truth about them, uh, but even if they're not told, if they don't know the truth about it, if they want to take them, that's fine. That's adults. But children should never be given uh, neuroleptics. I mean, they're never, uh, you know, they're not the ones making the decision. Um, and in truth, um, they're given not to help the child or youth or even for the, even adults. They're um, given because to reduce uh, uh, the troubling behavior that is upsetting other people. Um, so, yeah, people, I think, you know, people could use help uh, a lot, but forcing them to take these terrible drugs, well, these drugs that can cause such serious uh, negative effects, and which really don't uh, solve the problem for most people. I mean, the neuroleptics are marketed as, quote, antipsychotics, but they don't have an antipsychotic property for most people. They just make people so numb they don't care about the voices in their head or whatever, you know, whatever it is um, that's going on. And so it just suppresses symptoms, but oftentimes only just for the short term, because like I said, the brain adapts and uh, grows more dopamine uh, receptors and, you know, then you have the behavior. And then, you know, when people withdraw from the drugs, all of a sudden you do have this, you know, flood of dopamine and that, that causes uh, psychotic symptoms. And in fact, the labels, you know, the approved uh, Food and Drug Administration FDA labels, all of them say that these drugs cause psychosis. Yeah, look at look at the number of mass shootings throughout America time and again. The big uh, mainstream media, it's a, it's really quite telling the way they prefer just to sweep it all under the rug and ignore the fact that oh, yet once again, here we go that we have found these shooters to actually be under the influence of these medications. Uh, or, or uh, some sort of, uh, you know, relapse or with, withdrawal type period that just has not gone too well, clearly. So, you know, it's, you know, we need to, that's part of our job, I guess, here. And why we were happy to bring you on board this week was to work on doing what we could to help better generate more of a conversation, I suppose, and to see to it that people don't simply forget about these really uh, important issues where so often people are warehoused and their voices are taken away from them. The coercive aspect, that, that element, that end of things, as you so rightly have pointed out here, um, I, I'm down with that, you know, as far as having a problem with it, clearly that, yes, uh, if people choose to to self-medicate if they feel it works for them that is is great and i think we're both on the same page there uh it's tough when you have children most definitely that uh not being of the age of consent clearly so so many so many more talking points here though i'm just trying to wrap things up looking at roger miller everybody gets crazy now and then have you ever heard the tune 
I don't remember that. Oh boy. Well, if I, I know that the the after show is still up in the air, and uh, if we were to do one that I think we would <laughs> we would most definitely want to probably take things home with that. It's a beautiful song. Chug a lug, chug a lug. Makes you want to holler, hi ho. You know, King of the Road, all those great songs from Roger Miller, of course, who died of lung cancer back in the mid to late 80s. But uh, just looking around here, the fin putting the finishing touches on what we have to offer, um, trying to, well, let's give a just a brief shout out once again. Pirate Larry, who has shared a great link here in the chat area over on DLive, talking about how a 16-year-old boy in L.A. Juvenile Hall was given estrogen. This is courtesy of the L.A. Times. Uh, I'm not sure what that's all about, but was it something... Uh, I'm, pres I'm willing to bet that the reason Larry put it there is because, as you're pointing out, Jim, that it's one of these coercive matters which totally, uh, as far as I can tell, goes against just natural law, whether it's called it the law of God or, or what have you. Some people will, but it's, um, it's we've got to respect people's wishes and their right to free choice when it comes to however it is they choose to self-medicate, whether to ingest certain chemicals and, 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 and so forth, or to refrain from them. But, uh, gosh, who do we miss out here? It, uh, anti-Semitic Kiwi. Jeez, I don't know what you're asking here, anti-Semitic Kiwi, as far as why something or another... Why is pedophilia classed as a disease? Uh, th that 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 needs some explaining. You'll need we'll need some more context from you there, Mister Anti-Semitic Kiwi. We don't know this character too well. He's been popping into our our live stream here from time to time over the last month or so. You know, seems to have been a, a decent, upstanding type character uh, uh, right up until now, and I. Hopefully we can have some sort of, once again, um, just a sort of uh, more context to what you're actually driving at there, Mr. Kiwi. Uh, okay, well, I think that pretty much about does it then. We've, we've run the course. We're going to uh, just remind listeners once again to take a look at what uh, Mr. G, Jim Gottstein out of Anchorage, Alaska has to offer here as far as his social media links are concerned. Psychrights.org, GottsteinLaw.com, TheZyprexaPapers.com as well too. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything more. This is kind of putting you on the spot. We didn't cover this in the pre-interview, uh, Mr. G, but... And we'll have to, you know, just depending. I know you've got the link to Amazon. A lot of times, though, what we where we can manage it, not all authors can, but where it's possible, we try to see if in the event that they let you know, say, two keywords, pirate code or, or pirate radio, that our listeners then can, can uh, qualify for a... 10% discount or something along those lines. You might not be able to do it. I, I, each, each, uh, we, we just kind of take things on a case by case basis. It is kind of putting you on the, 
uh, on the spot here, but uh, hopefully you've you've been in in tighter confines over your 40 years of practicing. <laughs> Why do they call it yeah, practicing anyways, Jim? Why do they call it practicing yeah, law? I don't get it. Huh? Can you answer that one? You get it right. Yeah, exactly. Right. The doctors, no. the doctors are practicing medicine. And you know what? Guess what else we practice? Our spiritual paths. Every we we practice. It's a spiritual practice is what it's known as, believe it or not. Uh, I'm not sure. You're, you're probably aware of that, of course. So, but uh, yeah, geez, you think, to me, I always make the joke that why the hell would anybody want to go deal with these people if they haven't haven't got it right by this stage? Let, we'll come, we'll check back with you when you've worked, you got things all figured out. How about that? You know, so all right. <laughs> it's a joke, Jim. <laughs> so I know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard a few good lawyer jokes over your your, your time in business. So, uh, but well, it's just a good thing you had such a great support network back uh, in the day. A lot of people don't have that, of course. The Zyprexa Papers is the book. Is there anything you can do as far as our listeners are concerned then with this the, the Pirate Code ten uh, percent? Yeah, I suppose. Um... Yeah, sure, I can do something. It's I like mean, the kind, the Kindle, I can't really do anything with, and uh, but the paperback, I could, and you know, I could sign it uh, and send it. That's right. Um, uh, so, um, and it's not. It, it's also available in Barnes and Noble, and I think most any any bookstore can order it too. I, okay. I have it in the. Excellent. And in fact, you know what we do? We do offer all of our guests is a in-house uh, member site subdomain. So if you're any, well, if you're capable of working with WordPress, you can put together for yourself uh, a in-house kind of blog space, basically, with all of your key uh, social media links, a couple pictures, and a bit of a commentary overview courtesy of wprpn.com forward slash Gottstein law or whatever it is that you choose well, so, there's I practice papers maybe yeah that there you go and that's complimentary we offer that to all of our guests but uh thank you so much once again we'll we'll talk about this after show business behind the scenes after we actually wrap i've i've put you on the spot enough already to this point but what we'd like to do let's get you to mute out Mr. G, and bring uh, Reverend Jim into the conversation here as we wrap things up, call it a day. And uh, I guess you're probably making your way back down from the crow's nest, Reverend Jim, are you not? Yeah, I'm getting ready to, uh, I'm looking at a few things that I'm gonna go over with uh, my audience. Um, very interesting show. There's so, there's so much involved in this, the, the psychiatry and big pharma, the, the fact that uh, if you change someone's environment, you can change so much. They did it with an experiment with rats because um, they found that you know, heroin's supposed to be all this, this terribly addicting drug, but yet there were... Vietnam veterans who would have been classified as heroin addicts that once they got out of that environment and back into a normal environment, they quit the drugs cold turkey. And they did the exact same experiment with rats. They took rats, got them, made sure they were all addicted to heroin-laced water, 
and you know le left them basically in a little cage with nothing to do but do their heroin for weeks and then they put them in an environment they called rat city with a whole bunch of other rats because rats are social animals and they had a bottle with heroin laced water in it and clean water and all the rats that were addicted to heroin weaned themselves off and because they were in a, they, their environment had changed. When they were in a solitude environment, they had nothing to do. When they were in an environment they didn't like, they did drugs. When their environment changed, they didn't feel the need to do drugs anymore. And I think there's, there's a lot to do with our psychiatry. We have screwed up our personal environment so bad or allowed them to be screwed up by the, uh, the elite the powers that be, the uh, social planning that they put into place, uh, that people are finding escapism is the answer, and they use that to their advantage to put people on drugs they should never be on. That's my final word. The scientific dictatorship hashtag technocracy there's a lot to this folks and it's great that we've got people such as jim godstein out there having really i think hit one out of the park with the zyprexa papers and of course as always we encourage uh our listeners not only to do what they can to support us but to support our guests even if only just helping to spread the links it's that it really does manage to go a long way um we'd like to also give a word of thanks and shout out to deja voodoo 22 and well we got actually tetragrammaton ghost over on d live new followers but deja voodoo 22 just donated a lemon so we got all kinds of folks donating their various uh digital currencies over there we're trying to redistribute these rewards and we're getting jammed for some reason so hopefully haven't offended the chinese communist party too badly they are for those who uh, are not aware we are pretty sure the actually behind the scenes people who are pulling the strings there when it comes to the d live platform uh but as it is yeah we will be back later this Tuesday night with the news. Hopefully have Pirate Larry dropping in for at least the first hour. Larry, I'm, I'm guessing that you're still out there listening. We very much look forward to getting back up to speed as to how things are with you. Uh, on the health front, of course, you in the midst now of working on finding your way down to uh, Mexico once again, the Baja region, you lucky dog. So, Reverend Jim, hey, we, we just, we finally got it. And it looks like, there you go, Jim. <laughs> uh, make of it what you will. Uh, round and round the wheel it goes. So, yeah, the luckiest follower and recipient of almost 66 Lino points over on DLive. Next Friday night, the Canisance cannabis roundtable talking 
a lot about the various uh, products they have to offer in their catalog, their company structure, the way that they've got things modeled and, and set up via Canasense. Uh, Daniel Lewis Crumpton hopefully be dropping in along with Dave, the CEO from out of New Jersey, possibly Angel Espino. We had been looking to bring on board uh, a female guest as well, too, someone to participate in the roundtable. We'll just have to play that one by ear. But yeah, it's been a great ride. Hopefully managed to have covered all of our bases here and uh, look forward to talking to you again. So thanks, everybody. If we didn't get to giving you an actual direct personal shout out, this go round our apologies we love and appreciate everybody as always wprpn.com is the website you want to drop by sign up once again is free pirate one radio at protonmail.com is our email address don't be a stranger on behalf of captain long john sinclair and all the rest of the crew here aboard the robin hood i'm your host as always Show's Chief Communications Officer Jaffe Ryder. Tally ho. I know. There we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial cable, knob, and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay, draw an end to yet another week of World Pirate Radio Live. Remember, if you're looking for a little more animated online action, keep in mind we've likely got yet another great free-flowing rogues gallery after show coming up for the next hour in one of our more premium exclusive and remote digital underground online pirate hideaways also if you yourself have a new novel intriguing or otherwise underreported idea unique individual or pressing item in mind be sure to either drop us a line directly over on wprpn.com or fire us a quick email via Pirate One Radio at ProtonMail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. Remember, WPRPN.com member site subdomain links are also always available. Great for artists, musicians, podcasters, bloggers, social media personalities, or pretty much just any old land lover looking to boost their online visibility, presence, and reach, basic personal profile accounts can be launched for just $60 per year. Staking your claim now helps not only strengthen you and the network, we're also looking out for the little guy. That's right, folks, as much as half of all WPRPN's profits are redirected right back into the hands of the people who really need it most. 
community charity. After all, we are the Robin Hood. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, sharing, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Gab, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, I'm your host as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Tally ho.